Yeah, it's so good to be here with you guys. It's been such a rich uh, last couple of days. I've been so moved by everyone's hunger for truth and hunger to know Jesus and to know him in his nature and his character. And so today we're going to just continue to go after a few more areas of who he is. And then I felt actually to um, uh, really drill into going after shame. So it's so interesting. What was your name who just shared? Where are you? Mary, Mary, that you shared. So we'll get into this. But you know what? Uh, it's amazing. Radical transparency always leads to radical transformation. So radical transparency always leads to radical transformation. And sometimes when we talk about the word repentance, you know, it feels like this heavy religious thing. But it's like, no, actually, Acts 3 tells us repent, turn to the Lord, so that times of refreshing can actually come. Times of freedom can actually come. And repentance, there's so much power in it because you're exercising your authority as a believer over any kind of darkness by what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross. So it's like putting a stick of dynamite in a concrete wall called shame or passivity or fear or rejection. And you're saying, you know what, I'm going to exercise my biblical authority as a son, daughter through joyful repentance and watch that thing explode or come down. You know, it says in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse three through five, that we demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive of every thought, make it obedient to Christ. And that scripture is all about the tearing down of strongholds um, and, and wrong th ways of thinking about who God is through the power of repentance. So radical transparency in these areas will always move to radical transformation. People are always like, how do I continue to grow into Christ-likeness, grow in character? It's easy. Start drilling into all of these different areas and start repenting like crazy. And in it, you know, we repent before the Lord, we will be forgiven. We repent before one another, we will be healed. That's what James 5 tells us. So it, you, it's not an isolated event, you know, that we do by ourselves with the Lord. It is an extent, but we've also been called to engage together as a community and brothers and sisters appropriately to share these things so that real healing begins to happen inside of us. So I am so amazed by your courage. And it's like you are exercising the power of the gospel in front of us. And it's something to be celebrated. And I think your school has already been leading the way in vulnerability already, it sounds like. But I just feel like God wants to do even a deeper work in all of our hearts. So we'll see how the Holy Spirit leads. And I got a few things in mind, but we'll see what happens. Sound good? Awesome. Awesome. All right. Could I get that uh, um, presentation up? <clears throat> yes. Awesome. Okay, great. Yes. Give it up for the uh, AV guys crushing it in the back. <clears throat> all right. So um, the first day, you know, we just introduced uh, the conversation or the topic of the nature and character of God. And like I told you before, this is the largest topic you could ever imagine because you're talking about the uncreated one who existed before creation and who is and is, who was and is and is to come and that we will worship him forever and ever. So to try to capture that in a handful of 90-minute sessions is a real like challenging task to do. So the whole heart of this is, that in, is to whet your appetite so that there's 
there's a greater hunger and a greater thirst to know who God is and to know him according to his word and to see him correctly, to see him rightly, not just with head knowledge alone, but with living understanding and intimate knowledge as we walk with him. It's one thing I could come up here and try to convince you that God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, but he actually wants to not only you know that according to the word, but it be revealed to you in your life as God meets your needs in only a way that he can. So it's like, this is the journey that we are on. And the knowledge of God is so important because like I read that quote from A.W. Tozer, the, the most important thing about us is our thoughts about who God is. It sets up everything, our worship, the way we use our time, the way we use our, spend our life, the way we use our resources, and, and how we actually view the lens of life. It all begins with knowing who God is. And we know that the knowledge of God is also important because this is, we're growing in real authentic relationship with the Lord. And if you don't have real substance in your walk with God and knowing who he is, it's not a real relationship. There's no substance that's there. I could tell, I could say to you, what is your name? That, hey, Kyla and I are best friends. And you're like, oh, awesome. What does she like to do? You're like, I don't know. Like, what is your favorite part of her personality? Like, I'm not really sure. Or it's like, or, or all the substance in our relationship. I have no knowledge of her. We have no history. We have no experiences. So really, it's just a form of like emotionalism, right? Versus it actually being the knowledge of God or the knowledge of Kylie. Kyla, that, that I promise we're best friends, right? And, and it's the knowledge of Kyla that, that allows our relationship to have real substance and actual depth, right? You guys get what I'm saying? Okay, so um, let's, we're, let's just jump right in. Um, let's open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. That is the first book of the Bible, first chapter of the Bible, first four words of the Bible. <clears throat> All right, while you're looking it up. So that was what we did on the first day. On, and then yesterday, <clears throat> we shared a bit about the throne room of God to give you a bit of a vision of who God is seated upon the throne and how important that is. His different, we talked about his holiness. We talked about his transcendent beauty. We, we touched on his eternal nature. We talked about his love and desire to partner with us as mankind and as humans to actually co-create with him and to advance his kingdom. Uh, we also talked about how he's worthy of worship forever and ever and ever as the four living creatures, the seraphim, burning ones, behold the beauty of who he is. And we talked about how our lives, no matter how much we sacrifice, no matter how much we give, no matter the decisions that we make will equal these crowns that we have but even when we give them at the foot of Jesus it still seems like we just long that we could give even more right we long that we could give him even more than what already we have and have attained so <clears throat> so let's continue on Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and I just want to start with the first four words in the beginning God in the beginning God this reveals so much about the nature and the character of who God is. We know in Genesis 1, it starts with in the beginning God. And then he created 
All these things came into being. Over six days, he continues to create more internal order, external beauty. He continues to give everything that he creates by his spoken word more purpose, more meaning, and really an original design of what they were created for. Remember, all of what we see here is God's intellectual property, and we belong to him. And we actually know as the creator, he's the Steve Jobs to our apple, right? Like we know that what we have been created for, um, that he would know what's best for us, right? And so we see in Genesis 1, he created, and then he creates men and women in his image. But which we'll get into in a second. But I want to plant here on these first four words, uh, and then we're going to get into a little bit of discussion. In the beginning, God. So we recognize that that God was there in the beginning, right? Before anything existed. We know that that reveals to us that he is eternal. And there's a number of scriptures that are there. You can take a picture or I can send you this presentation. But we see that God is eternal. That before anything of what we even know that exists, it was created, he was there. He's the only uncreated being in all of, uh, in all of everything. This is what makes him Holy. Holy simply means set apart, right? Holy means like it's above all else. Like nothing really compares. It is completely set apart. And this is what makes God eternal is that in the beginning, God was there. Begin before all of creation existed, before we even had a framework for what is light, for what is darkness, for what is day, for what is night, for what is the sky, for what is the ocean, for what is the different kinds of vegetation that produce certain kinds of fruit and certain kinds of seeds, before the fish of the sea, before the, the, um, before the animals of the land, and before us as humans even existed. So in the beginning, God reveals so much. And I love that Jesus refers at times to his eternal nature. John 1 is a great place where he says, in the beginning was the word, that's himself. And in the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning, right? It speaks that even before all of creation existed, he was there. Or in John 13, I love this, where he, he's about to go to the cross and he's about to wash his disciples' feet. He's like, yo, I know where I've come from. Like I knew that actually I existed before even all of the creation of the earth and everything that we know. And actually, I know where I'm going, that I'm going to be seated upon the throne, that I'm going to be there. And in his humility and his security, there he gets on his knees and washes the disciples' feet. So profound. So we see that he kind of speaks into parts of his eternal nature for quite some time. So that's pretty, uh, pretty clear, pretty explanatory. Yet at the same time, we will um, forever um, try to understand what this is. And honestly, trying to understand eternity uh, we can kind of get it conceptually, but we're still kind of like dogs trying to learn calculus, right? It's still so much beyond maybe even the smartest person's brain to fully comprehend. But yet we have to put God into a place where he is holy, where he is transcendent in his beauty, and that we can't box him in, right? We can't box him in. He's fully eternal, fully outside of time, and it's important to understand that. And I shared with you yesterday briefly that C.S. Lewis, who's a great Christian thinker and all author along the next 300 billion galaxies and that that if you rolled up this piece of paper that continued on and 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 you just took a little a pencil and you drew a little bit of a line on that piece of paper that would be all of human history in light of the eternity of God so we recognize that he is God is eternal and everyone right next to it that God is infinite because this is important to understand that God is infinite all right, the next thing to know about God is this, is that God is triune. 
or you can put next to God is triune, that God is relational. That we all know that triune simply means trinity, the three in one. And if you look at Genesis in Genesis 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning, Elohim is the actual name. And Elohim was a plural form of God. And you can watch more. Just go to the Bible uh, Bible Project. It sp- explains it really well. But uh, I don't want to get into that because I feel like there's some ground we want to cover. But the word is Elohim. And it talks about a plural form of God. Not multiple gods, but a plural form that, t- that speaks of the Trinity. We see that again in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 and 28 where it says, Now, God, Elohim, made us in his image as people, right? So we're created in the image of God. We are image bearers. And at the core of who we are is relational because God is relational and God is personal. And so we, of course, are relational and personal, right? So if you look at God as the triune God, he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if you imagine a, a perfect relationship, because remember, this is a relationship with himself that has not been tainted by sin, that has zero selfishness, that has no pride or insecurity or jealousy, that has zero comparison inside of the relationship within himself. And it's like, what does this perfect relationship look like? Over ch- out championing one another, out serving one another, more selfless than ever. It's like, it's like there's not even an ounce of selfishness, selfishness. There's not even a thought of selfishness, but it's a constant preferring of one another. What would that relationship actually look like? And I think this is why we're so fascinated with the understanding of community. Because as people, we're relational because we've been created in the image of God. And we we find ourselves belonging in a healthy family, right? Or a healthy family of believers where it's like there's zero comparison. Where it's like, man, I care more about your destiny than I care about mine. Or I care, I'm, I'm really about serving your needs before I even think about my own. Or it's like, you know, it's like we, we are fascinated with that unity, right? And Jesus says that later on in John. He says, man, by the way you love one another, people will know you're my disciples. Why will they know that we're his disciples by this level of unity? Because it naturally reveals his character as the triune God who is not just infinite but is also personal. Is also all-powerful, but is also incredibly relational. Not just a cold, all-powerful being sitting on a throne, just kind of commanding things to happen everywhere that he goes, but because he is infinite and personal, uh, this is what draws us in. So we see that everything in life reveals his character. By the way, you love one another in your room, and you're like, gosh, I've only known you for a week, but I feel like you're closer than my best friend at home that I grew up with. It's like all of a sudden, it's revealing what God has designed us to be like, right? So God is triune, completely um, a perfect relationship, three in one. And well, you'll get more into this in the coming days, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all have distinct characteristics, distinct roles, right? Distinct things that they're supposed to do. They're three completely diverse parts of the Godhead, yet they are fully in unity and they are one. And the more, you know, this is why, like, I think even in the midst of diversity conversation, the unity and diversity that even the church will show will be even greater witness to reveal who God is in his nature and his character. So that's a whole other topic for another time. But with all that to say, we all need to know that God is eternal and infinite and that God is triune, three in one, and he's relational and personal. So he's infinite and personal. You see this in the uh, Lord's Prayer where, he said, where Jesus says, they're like, teach us how to pray. He's like, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. 
Our father speaks of a familial term. It speaks of relationship. It speaks of tenderness. It speaks of a family framework that God put into place to reveal who he is. Now, we I know that we all haven't had the best family backgrounds, and everyone's uh, background is a bit different, but if we're in an understanding of a father. So he's saying, our father who art in heaven, I am personal. I am relational. I love you, right? But then he says, who are in heaven, which he says, I am infinite. I am all powerful. I am seated upon the throne. I am eternal. And so already in the Lord's prayer, how we're addressing God in his nature and character is revealed as infinite and personal, right? All right. So this is what I want you to do. The question I often think about is what the heck were they doing before creation existed? What were they doing? What does that relationship look like? If they're infinite, in amazing relationship, friendship with one another, what were they doing before these four words were spoken in the word of God? Okay, good discussion. Man, I, felt, I saw people's eyes. They're like, whoa, like <laughs> mind blown. So did you guys all appoint someone to write down some of these thoughts? Awesome. Okay, let's get this party started. I want to hear from all of you. All right, raise your hand if you want to share. Yeah, let's start here. All right. Bullet points, not preaching. We want to hear what you came up with. Okay, so we had like different opinions. Um, so one of them was that he was dreaming about what he wanted and planning for us. Um, another one was that he was already fully complete, whole, and perfect and didn't need us but wanted us. Whoa, um, those are both And he awesome. like longed for relationship um, with created <clears throat> beings. And then um, that he wanted just others to create relationship. That's the three different Amazing. Yeah. So first was, yeah, so good. Come on, guys, give it up. Yes. <clears throat> Yes, that's pretty much it. No, no, that's such a great thought. So one was they were dreaming up uh, creation and being in relationship. I wonder how long were they dreaming? Did it take a moment? Did it take 10,000 years? Did it take 10 trillion years? Did they see each other's face of every single person who would be born before they were born? Did they know the number of hairs on your head before you were born? Uh, yeah, just, just thinking about what dreaming looks like, how long it took. Did they think about all those details in an instant? Yeah. Or was there even an instant because there was no time? Okay, so good. So that was first. Dream, dreaming, right? So dreaming of us. The second thing was, I love that. They said they were longing for relationship with us. And I would 100% agree with that. The mo if God is truly 100% kind, truly 100% just and merciful, truly 100% good, the most selfless thing that he could ever do is actually create others to be in his presence, right? Makes sense, right? If, that, if God is who he says he is, the most uh, beautiful, generous, kind thing that he could ever do is actually invite others to be in relationship with him and to extend through uh, his creation others to enjoy what they've been enjoying for so long. So yes, dreaming with God, how long did it take? What did they dream up? How specific was it? Uh, secondly, um, that they, they were longing and desiring us. Awesome. And the third one was again? That he was fully complete and whole during that whole time. Didn't, I don't need this actually. I'm really content in who I am, in my all-powerfulness, in my infinite nature. But really what, I, I really want to be with someone else. I really want this relationship. Wow, I love that. What insight into the heart of the Lord. All right, so good. All right, let's keep it rolling right here. 
Yeah, Bailey. Well, you move locations. Oh, yeah, I did. Guys, switch I it up. Switch yeah, it up. I get, yeah. it, I, get, I get it. So um, the first one was he was <coughs> dwelling on his thoughts for us, kind of like theirs. Um, and then his nature to dwell on us was innate as well as him being all together, all three of them, triunely. Um, and that was an extreme unity and intimacy. So they were just there. Like they were just together. And it was innate that they were together. Wow. So good. Such great thoughts. Such great thoughts. All right. Let's keep the hands up. All the way in the back. Or let's start here since he's right in front of you. <clears throat> uh, one of us was uh, saying, like, Jesus agreed to die for us before creation even happened. Whoa. Um, and then one was, like, each person, they wrote their story individually since they had, like, infinite time. Like, they planned each individual person's life and love for them. And then he was, like, creating our relationships and love for us. Amazing. time. So good. So the first one was that they had already known that Jesus was going to die on the cross. I would say that's biblical. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, and it talks about that. And then you, would, you said also they were, they were thinking about all of us and all the plans for each of our individual lives. Incredible. What about if that was the highest plan, and then they knew every thousand, two thousand, ten thousand, one million variations according to our decisions, because choices are necessary for love. But he had also planned out those as well. Man, just a thought. So good. Awesome. All right. <clears throat> Let's keep it moving. Yes, in the back. <laughs> yeah, predetermined self-will. Think about that. <laughs> that'll make you, that'll blow some sockets. <laughs> okay, so we, we know that God is, is a creator, is our creator. So he was creating. Um, like he just was, the Trinity just was, but they were also creating, whether it was creating angels or other galaxies that before earth was created because this is the story of earth being created um and then also we're married so um like marriage before kids just delighting in each other there and then and then also that preparation time that you have before children come like you're you're nesting you're preparing you're getting ready um for that life to come forth wow so good so good Great. I love that analogy of marriage. You know, and actually, uh, God's highest desire of marriage is the two shall become one, right? Sounds like the three in one, right? So like in that, out of your love for one another as husband and wife, what begins to naturally come out of that place is life and more people to be swept into and more love. Amazing. So good. What a great analogy. Awesome. Anyone else? Hands up here. All right, let's go. We'll just kind of cruise through here. This guy in the black here. Yeah, um, so we, I just like, what came to my mind was like some of my favorite memories with like my best friends and that that was like what God was doing before creation, actually like having fun, like the image came to mind of like playing tag, like actually creating treasured memories with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they actually like delight more in being with each other. Um, so just wow. like having fun. Yeah, uh, so good. So we say, like, just like a married couple, growing in delight for one another. Another aspect of relationship is best friends and creating memories together. Also, a different form of delight through companionship. Amazing. And then you start to realize, like, oh, wow, when you think about we're creating God's image, all of a sudden we realize so much of original created order reflects who God is as an extension of that. So awesome. So great. So delighting as best friends, making memory, playing tag across the vastness of wherever they were. <laughs> I wonder who's the faster runner. All right. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. 
I don't know. The second Thessalonians says the word ran swiftly, so who knows? <laughs> awesome. So good. Yeah, go for it. Uh, we saw another hand here. Who was it? Oh, yes, right there. Okay, so I have more questions and answers, to yes, be honest. Yes, good. Um, that should be good. But, okay, so in John, it says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, like, before even creation existed, the word, like, physical embodiment of scripture was already done, like, and then throughout the whole world of, like, our existence, even now, all the prophecies, like, we get, or, like, the pictures and visions, like, that was already in God's mind, and then throughout humanity, he's just pouring out what was already on his mind, like, so, Um, I I have more questions than answers. No, it's good. More questions than answers is good. The reason I say this to you guys is, remember, I started this week by saying I think the biggest problem that plagues the church today is boredom. We have lost our fascination in who God is. We have lost our sense of astonishment and awe. We've kind of just like read through certain words without really going a little bit deeper in our thought life to try to comprehend as we are finite and God is infinite as we're trying to comprehend who this you want to know more, right? Not just being like spoon-fed what other people have told you, including me and what I'm telling you, but my hope is that there's a holy appetite, a hunger, holy hunger that starts to arise inside of you that will bring you to a greater fascination in who God is. So more questions is great. Awesome. All right, let's keep it rolling. Back here in the black. So we also kind of said planning, and I love what you said because it kind of goes off of that. Lots of questions. Um, So the fact that God literally knows everything. I think a lot of us had hard questions. Well, like, all right, so what about people like (laughs) Adolf Hitler? If God knew that Mm -hmm. was going to happen, God's not some sociopath that was just like, yeah, we're going to let that happen over here. But there's an enemy that he knew about. So I think it took a lot of planning and moves and counter moves for God to create like the ultimate battle plan for this ultimate war from beginning to end, where at the end we get to be in victory with him. Wow. So good. So good. I wish we could get more into a philosophical conversation, but just to give you a resource, um, there's a great book called The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Read it. It's a, it's a classic. Mind-blowing. So good. Awesome. All right. Over here in the black shirt. <clears throat> Guys, it's so good to hear from one another, right? Authentic learning community. <clears throat> Um, so we said a lot of the same things as other people, but we were saying that um, he was probably soaking in his own glory. Um, but the fact that God is love, like God is literally love. So he needed creation to pour his love out on something. Yes. Wanted creation. But yeah. <laughs> She's like, hey, don't say that. Like, he said it earlier. He didn't want. It's different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we know what you meant. So good. So God is love. And, and in that, there's the perfect highest form of love as we know it. And even our understanding of love or even our definition of love, you know, is, is limited. We have the poverty of language. We are limited to try to express what the concept of love actually is within God, right? And in that place, as he's uh, so in love with one another, saturating in his own glory. I love that. I love that. I wonder what that looked like. I wonder what that felt like. I wonder what they're experiencing. Such great thoughts, guys. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Did you like your answer? (laughs) Awesome. Right here in the black. (laughs) Um, 
we were kind of talking about it, and it's like similar to what other people were saying that like he is the creator, but that kind of like surpasses what we know because it's like he never stops. If he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, like he can't just stop creating with creation. Like we are the creation that he delighted in most, but like that didn't mean that he just stopped there, which is really cool because if you think that we're made in his image then that kind of means that, like, he also has, like, artists in heaven and singers in heaven and, like, all of these talents that he's gifted us to, like, glorify him. Like, those exact same things exemplified without sin tainting it, Amazing. which is, like, super cool. Wow, so good. Such great thoughts, guys. Man, you guys are smart. All right. Anyone else? One more. We're going to do some more discussion. We're going to hear from each other. But I just thought, it's just so, I love everyone's different perspective. It's not like I'm just like the authority. Like we got to hear from one another. That's what makes the community rich. Like we, we value your opinion, the spirit of God inside of you because no one else has your opinion because of your unique circumstances, your unique designing God. So we got to continue to hear from one another and create a deeper value for that. So, yes. Yeah, we said like similar things to a lot of other people, how like God, um, was like longing for someone to like give everything for and someone's like sharing all of his glory and he's like excitedly awaiting us we talked about how he like wanted someone to love him on purpose like have the choice wow. to be like no like i want to give everything for you and then we also talked about like how it's like a wedding planner like he was planning to be united with his bride and the church and things like that so yeah so good amazing so great where are you from england Awesome. I love that. We need the nations here. We have the nations here, but we need more nations here. So good, guys. So great to hear from everyone uh, specifically about um, your thoughts on this. I encourage you to continue the conversation, right, in a place of, of course, moving us towards fascination, right? Because it's like you'll start to get into conversations about like, um, you know, like the sovereignty of God versus the free will of mankind. Like how does, it, how does an all-knowing, all-powerful God operate if like we are also making choices, you know what I mean? Like, and how, how does that, how does the, the holy, the divine and, and mankind like come together in that place and what does that look like you know what is predetermined self-will is that an actual thing right so it's like it would it be self-will if it's predetermined right so it's like all of these thoughts I'm, I'm i'm challenging you guys to think a little bit right because we need to love the lord our god with all of our heart mind soul and strength and it's like um and, and we want to the lord wants us to engage in that way move to greater fascination Awesome. All right, let's keep it rolling. God, in the beginning, God. God is eternal, infinite. God, we've seen righteousness. And um, man, I, just, I wish I had a whole week to just actually teach about justice and righteousness and justice and mercy especially because it's such an important time as we are such an activist generation and we want to get really involved. Often at times we have a wrong view of social justice, right? As we talk about a lot about that term and there's a right way according to the kingdom on how to approach all of these different issues. We can't just repeat whatever people are thinking or we just uh, impose what we feel is right as we talk about these subjects. But I encourage you to take those subjects 
subjects before the word of God, before his nature and character. I encourage you to go meet Jesse tonight. Ask him all kinds of questions about this. Know who the God is of the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? And to make yourselves continual lifelong learners. There is no shortcut, no Google search to growing in the knowledge of God, right? This is going to take some labor and becoming lifetime students of the word and saying, you know what? Like I'm on a journey and I can't wait to go deeper into that, but I'm not going to go deeper into justice and righteousness, but God is holy and he's righteous. Okay, let's go to the next slide. God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. So omni is basically like all, right? So God is all powerful, um, all knowing, and all present. And those are, those are things that we already know about who God is in his nature and his character. But start to ask yourself the question, what does all powerful actually mean? And then even say, like, if he's all powerful, how does God actually choose to exercise power? Right. This is a great question to ask, because if he's all powerful, that means that and he's given us power and he's given us a stewardship of that power. How then, according to his nature and character, does he steward power? And there's so many power dynamics that we see throughout society that that maybe that and even within churches that have maybe given us the wrong perception of who he is and has revealed his character and his nature incorrectly. So it just just a thought to think about. So all God is all powerful. God is omniscient, so God is all-knowing, right? So he knows all things. We heard a little bit about this. In his infinite nature, when he was dreaming us up, did it maybe in a nanosecond, he knew he, in an instant, in his all-powerful, infinite nature, and his unlimited creativity, knew every single person's name, the number of hairs on our head, this way that he was string our DNA, the, present, uh, the, the um, pres- personalities that we would have, the family that you would grow up in, how sin and certain generational curses would contaminate that part of the generational line. It would be one back in your generation through your own obedience to the Lord. And he saw every uncombination under the sun. It's kind of mind-blowing to think about, right? And then all of a sudden, sometimes we chalk up God in our time of worship to kind of be like the best version of my dad, best version of my best friend, best version, you know, like, like, like of, of what I could imagine versus taking a step back and saying, who am I actually worshiping right now? You guys get what I'm saying? All right. So those are some verses. The other thing is God hates evil. So we talk about the word hatred, and we're like, oh, man, that's bad. And, of course, like my my kids are growing up, like, don't say the word hate. But God in his 100% goodness, 100% purity of motivation, 100% justice, 100% merciful, right, in, in who he is, actually can hate what is evil. Because if he is 100% good, there is a hatred of what is evil because it is what corrupts love. It is what corrupts, right? So that's why the enemy, you know, he's such a whack faker, right? Like he has no real power. God has the power to create and unlimited in his creative ability. The enemy can't create anything that would compete to what God has created, so he must corrupt, right? He can't create, so he must corrupt. He must taint, right? So for example, the subject of sex. Sex is one of the most beautiful things that God has ever created. It's the highest form of intimacy that two people could ever experience with one another, and out of it actually flows eternal life. An eternal being actually comes out of that place. That and salvation are the only things that affect eternity in that way, right? So because like the enemy could never create anything that would replace that level of purity and intimacy and oneness in that category, what does he do? He corrupts, right? 
He can't create, so he corrupts. And in that corruption, it's the forms of evil that begin to taint God's original design, break relationship, push people away that he has created to be with him. Because if he's all kind, all good, all just, right? The most loving thing that he could ever do is create us for a relationship, to enjoy him. Just some thoughts. You guys go deeper into this. It says in Proverbs um, that the fear of the Lord is the hatred of what is evil. But there is something that rises inside of us when there's evil. And I'm not saying just like, like just anger and judgment. Because of course we know that Jesus moved with incredible compassion. But there's a way to be incredibly compassionate but have the hatred for the things that are evil. That corrupt and taint the things that God has created. All right. God is merciful. Next slide. All right, let's go into the next word. Guys, I'm just blazing through this because I really feel like there's something that I want to touch on. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. We see that all of that was revealed through that. And then it says the fifth word. In the beginning, God created. So I love that God is creator and that God created out of nothing. It's a portrait, but I'm still using materials that God has created itself. I'm still using materials like wood that then became treated paper that then became the portrait that I was writing on. Or I could be, I could create and build a house. Imagine what the design would look like, but in the end of the day, I'm still creating, but I'm not creating something out of nothing. And, and God is uh, unlimited in his creative power because it flows out of his infinite understanding, his infinite beauty, his, in, his transcendent wonder, right? So it's like God created something out of nothing and God created by a spoken word, which you see in Genesis chapter one, verse three. I love that he didn't lift a finger, but he just declared it and all of these things started to happen and come into place. And life in itself is still being perpetuated because the declaration of of his word. So let's look a little bit at God's creative power just to kind of uh, stir us into fascination. So let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> All right. Have you ever thought about when God created that God created snowflakes, right? Uh, this is, this fascinates me. I was thinking about this one day, probably because my daughter was like really into frozen at one point in time, right? And it's like, if you think of how actually snow is created, it's already mind blowing and the way the ecosystem's created. But then you think of how every single snowflake that's created has a unique and individual design, right? And you look at all these different examples of, right? This is only 12 snowflakes. But imagine what it looks like in a blizzard in Alaska, a blizzard in Norway, a blizzard on the east coast of the United States of America, a blizzard in Russia, and how many individual snowflakes that are being created and each one have their own unique design. It's like, why the heck would God do that? We can't even see it. It just looks like a floating piece of mass, right, coming down from the air. But why would God do that? Simply because it's a part of his nature. He enjoys to create. He enjoys diversity. He doesn't want everything to look the same and everything to be repeated in the same way. His desire is to create. He has a creative impulse. I would say another reason he probably did that, just in my own thought life, would be just because he can. Because he's like, I am God. This is not really that hard for me. And my hope is, like Romans 1, that as people look at creation, it would say that, man, there must be a God. It reveals, whether saved or unsaved, it speaks of the glory of who God is in his beauty and his creativity. All right, let's go to the next slide. I don't even remember what's on there. All right. Oh, it's a video of a snowstorm. Okay. Does it play? It's been a while since I made this thing. 
All right, anyways, there's this guy running in this snowstorm. So imagine thinking now, uh, as you look at it, every single different snowflake that is created, right? Awesome, you can just go to the next one. It's supposed to be a video, but just imagine that. All right, what's next? Okay, how about this? This is a, a square mile in the Amazon. Did you know in the Amazon, there's 5,000 different species of trees in one square mile? 5,000 species of different trees in one square mile of the Amazon. Why in the heck would God create 5,000 different kinds, broken down differently biologically, of different trees in one square mile? Like he could have probably done this across all of creation and it would have been still great. But it's like one person could spend their life, their children's life, and maybe someone else's life just studying one square mile of God's world that he loves. To take people into a fascination of who God is. And remember I shared with you guys this before. Think about this. That all, you know, if you stacked up all of the knowledge that has been accumulated all of, over all of history. And you laid it on a table. Right? It would still be just a little microscopic piece of dust. It would be like a piece of dust in this Johanna court or on all the whole campus. Compared to who God is in his omniscience and his all-knowingness and his all-powerfulness. Which is not a word. You guys get what I'm saying? And in this one square mile of the Amazon, 5,000 different trees. And on this one square mile of the Amazon, there's a, um, a caterpillar. This caterpillar, oh, go two slides over. I have it on my computer. This caterpillar in the Amazon has 242 different muscles in his head. Why do you need 242 different muscles in your head? If you're a small caterpillar in a one massive square mile of the Amazon... Bizarre, strange, mind-blowing, fascination, astonishment, awe, wonder, right? Okay, let's go to the next one. There's a few other caterpillar pictures. All right, you know the next one? I'm just blazing through this. Have you ever thought of laughter and how every single person's laugh is different, right? Every single person's style, uh, every person's um, smile is different, Right? And it would, how boring would it be if everyone laughed and it sounded completely the same? That would be so weird. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. They're like, that was awesome, Joe. Ah, ah, ah. Like, just one unified, monotone sound. How boring would that be? That would be so boring, right? And one of my fun things for Yuri and I to do, we like to really, but I just think God loved that he created every single person's laughter a little bit differently. Let's go to the next slide. Have you ever thought about the frequency of sound? So going from laughter and joy to the frequency of sound in your ear of what each laugh sounds like. That God would actually create the sound that comes out from your mouth. Ha, ha, ha. I laugh. Ruby, uh, Rudy, it goes into Rudy's ear, bounces around his eardrum. It has a specific kind of frequency. And then you would laugh maybe in his other ear, bounce around his other eardrum, and has a different kind of frequency. And that God created even the smallest things like that. All right, let's go to the next slide. I don't even know what's next. Let me just keep, just keep plowing. Oh, have you ever thought of a symphony, right? And imagine all the different kinds of frequencies of sound that are happening as you have the violins, violas, cellos, different forms of percussion, right? Have you, you know, a trombone, whatever it might be, right? And it's like, it's like in that place, I don't know if you've ever been to a symphony before, but, or, or an orchestra, and you sit there and you feel, you're overwhelmed with the beauty of God, and isn't it great that they're all different instruments as well? And I love that because there's such beauty in the diversity. 
And there's even more beauty when that diversity is unified, just like maybe in a symphony it would be, following a conductor and his leadership. Actually, there's a word called homothymodon in the Greek, which talks about the oneness of the church in the book of Acts before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it refers to an orchestra and how there would actually be different instruments, all different song sheets, very diverse, but unified as they listen to their uh, conductor as they watch him and his movement. And it was that oneness of unity and that, um, that, was birth, that brought prayer that then birthed the early church. And I just love that God loves the beauty and the diversity and the creativity. All right, so let's look at the next slide. And then <laughs> let's just take a look at outer space. I'm just really trying to blaze through this. So right now at this time, okay, you can go back. Go back one slide. Okay, so actually go back to the... The last slide I just told you, yeah. So if you look at, at this point in time, you know, we got the Hubble telescope, you know, and, uh, and, and if you get a chance, go to Mauna Kea. It's a beauty, you know, it's like the, um, a great mountain over here. It has, it's one of the best places to actually observe stars in the world. So you know, like all the lights here in Hawaii have like this dim orange light. It's on purpose, limit light pollution so that you have a better view of watching the stars. And so, so um, you know, like, at this point in time, where we are in human history and in our limited intelligence, we have discovered close to 350 billion galaxies, right? Think about this, 350 billion galaxies. And just to kind of help us digest this, let's think about each, um, each galaxy maybe being like a cul-de-sac in a neighborhood, you know, like four or five different houses, right, that are there. And there in each galaxy or in each cul-de-sac, there would be like billions of stars. Like we're amazed by the power of the sun, right? What is it, like 86 million miles away or something like that? You know, and think about God. Like he could have made it a little bit closer, we would all incinerate it. He could have put it back a little bit too far and we would all be freezing to death, right? But it's like he, he put every single dial perfectly into place to create life as we know it, right? And so that's just one little itty bitty sun. It would be like a pebble inside of the cul-de-sac. Yet we're so amazed and astonished by this reality, right? So right now, 350 billion galaxies are so discovered. And so let's go back to the other, uh, other one. All right, so... <clears throat> Let's use this measurement system because this helps me think about the vastness of God. So, you know, when we talk about outer space, you have to use a different form of measurement, right? So if I was, if I was coming up to Eunice and I wanted to measure how tall she is, you know, if I was from America, I'd say she's five foot six. Or maybe if I was in Europe, I would say she's uh, X amount of centimeters, right? So that would be my measurement for her height. But because, the outer, because outer space is so vast... Right, we have to use a, a, um, an increment called a light year, which I'm sure you know, all you guys went to school, you understand this. But one light year is simply this: five trillion eight hundred seventy-eight billion six hundred twenty-five million three hundred seventy-three thousand one hundred and eighty-four uh, feet. Or no, so one hundred eighty-four. What is the measurement? Yes, miles. Gosh, yes. Yeah. So it's miles. So five trillion plus miles is one light year. It's the speed that light would travel per year. That's 186,000 miles per second. Think about that. How far was the flight that you got on to get here? So 186,000 miles per second. That's how we're measuring this increment of time. So let's go to the, um, let's go to the one of the Milky Way. It's like five slides later. You can just blaze through. All right, so if you think about our own cul-de-sac, right? You live in a neighborhood, you got a house in a cul-de-sac, let's just say. Like our cul-de-sac would be the Milky Way. How long do you think it is in diameter? From one end to the other. So long, yes, that's true, true statement. Billion light years, anyone else? 
The diameter of this one cul-de-sac would be 100,000 light years long. So think about that. Multiply 100,000 times 5,878,000,000, yeah, that number. And that would be the length in miles of just our little cul-de-sac. And then times that there. You're like, why are you talking about outer space in my DTS? Do you ever, this should bring us into awe and wonder. It says in Psalm 33, I believe, that God spoke and all of the stars came forth from his mouth. Imagine this. Or in Psalm 8, that he is the one who created the heavens, right? And yet sometimes we limit God to saying like, God, I'm really worried about the $1,000 that I need for lecture phase. Or gosh, God, I'm not really sure if your love is strong enough to heal me. Or like, God, I'm not sure if you really know all that I've been through and that you could actually rescue me or deliver me out of this. And how many times have we limited what God can actually do simply because the limitation of our view of God? And so much of faith is not found in just like, getting in your prayer stance and kind of wishing something happens. Because sometimes we can treat spiritual matters that way, like, okay, if I just pray harder, if I scream louder, or if I, you know, surrender more, if I do this and this and this, like, we think it's going to. Actually, so much of our faith is found in knowing who God is. And so many of the ways that we limit him often reveals to us how little we know about him. All right. Nerd it out for a moment, Okay. Oh my gosh, time. Shoot. <laughs> I'm just trying so hard to go through this fast. Okay. All right, and then I'm just going to go straight. I'm just going to jump. Is that okay? We'll, we'll come back tomorrow. Okay, there's something the Lord put on my hat. Heart. On my hat. On my heart. All right. <laughs> All right, I just freaked out because of time. I'm like, oh my gosh. All right, so 23 minutes left. We saw Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. We see that we, that reveals to us that he's infinite, that he's personal, that we real reveals that he wants us for relationship. It reveals to us that he's all powerful in his understanding and that he's so creative in his, in his expression of who we are. Let's jump forward. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 28. It says that may we create men and women in our image. And I love that because he created us finite. We're not infinite. Like we're not all knowing, all powerful or whatever, but he's created us finite, but he's created us relational. We've been created for fellowship with him, him fellowshipping with us, fellowship with one another in real relationship. And I love that each of us are image bearers of God, not just like, um, like a cookie cut factory, like where it produces the same thing over and over again, but actually God in his creative ability said, your mother's womb is my art studio. I'm going to make a masterpiece. Your mother's womb is my art studio. I'm going to make a masterpiece. Your mother's womb is my carpenter shop. I'm going to build something for my glory. Right? And imagine how whack it would be if you went to a museum and every single piece of art was the same way, or every genre of art was the same way. It would be like, right? So it's like, but then let's like imagine the dignity of who he has created us to be, each carrying a specific image of who God is. It's so important. But we all know that the enemy came to corrupt. And in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, there's incredible relationship that is there their acceptance, their belonging their confidence, their identity, 
their value was all found in that relationship that was there. And it says that there was no shame, that Adam and Eve walked around naked and they felt no shame. That literally they were enveloped in the Father's love. And it tells us in the book of Genesis that actually God walked in the cool of the day with them. What did that look like? This eternal, transcendent God now walking in the cool of the day with his creation that were made in his image. And we'll discuss that tomorrow. What did that look like in Genesis 1 and 2? What would that kind of relationship with God actually look like manifest here in our midst? But because of time, we're not going to get into that. But start thinking about it. So there, perfect relationship with God. Everything completely unhindered. But then we go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's just blaze through it real quick. And we all know the story that God created a garden and he, he made men and women in his image. They were called to steward it, subdue it. They were continue, called to continue to advance it. But then he gave them one commandment. He says, don't eat from this tree, right? Or else you, you know, like you'll be corrupted, right? You're, you're, you're not going to see straight. Because why? He had to give them a choice in the garden because love demands a choice. If I were in love with my wife, and let's say I put her in the headlock, I said, you're going to love me today, right? Right? You would say that's abuse. Or if I'm like put my wife in the headlock and like forced her, right? It was like to do certain things. That would be called rape, right? So it's like that's not love. That's an exercising of power to get something that you deserve. Love demands a choice. You, you have a giver of love, you have an object of love, and then you have the energy of love in between. And then you have, uh, so it takes, it takes a choice to love God back, right? And so in that place, we recognize that there was a choice, but that the enemy came to bring corruption. The enemy came to bring temptation and to break down this perfect relationship with this finite God who's personal, yet who knows us by name. And I want to get into this, and we're going to go after shame. The Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from that any, uh, from any tree in the garden? Right there. Enemy doesn't have many tactics. He's not that creative. He's just a freaking liar. That's all he does. He creates doubt. He creates unbelief. And so he's doing the same thing. Same trick then, same trick now. He's like, did God really say that? Is he really like this? Did he really say you're a speaker of truth? Did he really say that you're loved by him? Right? He, he plants seeds of doubt to make us question the character of God. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat uh, from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then the enemy goes here again, lying again, a little bit more. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be just like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it, ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. Remember, they were naked before. They didn't realize it, no shame. But they realized they were naked and they, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the, man, to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that? And you, that you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So interesting, the story. Perfect relationship. Viewing God rightly. And then the lies start to come in to start to disrupt 
their view of God. Did God really say that? Could he actually be that good? Would he forgive you for that, even though you told him you wouldn't do that thousands of times ago? Like, is he really like that? And there, the enemy starts to lie and tear down their confidence in who God is. And we see what happens. Eve and Adam fall into temptation. And the moment that they eat, we see this evil and the separation that comes. And in it, they recognize their nakedness. And in it, they do something interesting. They sew together fig leaves, which I would say is shame. See, when we're shamed, when we're ashamed, we run from God. We're kind of afraid to look at him in the eyes. We're kind of afraid to look at other people in the eyes. We run from God. But confidence in his nature and his character make us run to him. Make us run to him. And the interesting thing about fig leaves is this. So they sinned. They recognized that they sinned. And then they sewed together fig leaves. The interesting thing about fig leaves is this. Is that actually if you put fig leaves on your bare skin, it'll cause you to get a rash. So even though you're naked and then you cover yourself with shame, it actually makes it worse. You'll break out into a rash. Right? And we got to recognize that shame is not from God. Psalm 25 says this. That those who hope in the Lord will never be put to shame. And our hope is in the, in the cross. Our hope is in Jesus' death and resurrection. Our hope is in who God is in his nature and his character. So obviously, if our hope is in him, we will have no shame. So we recognize shame is not from God. Worship team, you guys can come up. But we recognize that shame is a result of sin. And that when we make a mistake, we can naturally start to heap shame upon ourselves. We'll tie our own fig leaves together and try to cover up whatever it is. An area of brokenness, an area of abuse, an area of pornography, an area of lying, right? An area of wherever it might be. And the more you tried to cover it up, the more irritated it got. But God doesn't want us to run from him any longer. He wants us to have confidence in his nature and run to him with wholeheartedness over and over and over again. And I'm going to tell you guys this. One drop of the blood of Jesus is stronger than all of human sin collectively combined throughout all of history. One drop of the blood of Christ is stronger than all of human sin combined collectively throughout history. And the enemy would want to put us in shame. And what shame makes us do is kind of we put ourselves in time out. Have you ever done that? You made a mistake, struggled with pornography for a long time, made a mistake, right? Told God I wouldn't do it 10,000 times ago, did it again. And then I'd be thrown into the corner filled with shame. And I was like, I am in time out. Like I, God is not going to be pleased with me any longer, right? Until like I actually feel his presence again. And it's like, I'm like, put myself in this self-imposed timeout. And I'm not sure, right? Do I need to confess longer? I confess for 30 minutes. Does it need to be an hour? Does it need to be two hours? Does a few days need to pass until he kind of forgets about it? How many of you felt that way before when we make a mistake? Because that's the, that's the self-imposed timeout of shame, right? But God is saying, you know what? Like actually the door is open. You simply just need to... Step out of it, right? Because I didn't put you in there. You just put yourself in there. And what I need to do is I am here with arms wide open to embrace you every single time. And as I was praying this year, I want them to know that I'm infinite and all-powerful, yes. But I want them to know that I'm personal, that I love them, that they, are, they mean everything to who I am. And I felt like there was a number of us in here who were still battling with shame. To run to God with confidence. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have all of our staff come up here. So just line up. 
And it's going to take a little bit of boldness on your end, but I know that you guys want it. And really what it is, is, you know, First uh, John chapter 1 tells us this. So I'll just read it real quick. First John chapter 1 tells us this. It says, um, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. We started this morning saying radical transparency equals radical transformation. And the deeper our transparency goes, the deeper our freedom actually is, right? And it's like, and the Lord wants to come. He says he came to send his spirit to set us free.